Hello, everyone. I missed you guys. You did? I did. Steve Seifert, you there? I'm here. Oh, Steve. How are you, man? I'm great, Harry. Fine. So, I'd also like to welcome... We decided, after a lot of debate, that... You know, we we sometimes tend to challenge each other here on the Dulcimer Geek Podcast. Not a whole lot. Well, but we do, and it would be good to have a fact checker, if possible. Oh, really? Yeah, and I think we all might suspect each other a little bit of having cognitive biases that that make our fact-checking not work. So <clears throat> I would like to welcome to the show today. Hello, Alexa. Welcome. Thanks. It's good to be here. Oh, goodness. It's a robot. Yes. So if we have any disputes today, Alexa's going to join us. All right. Hey, Alexa. I don't think she can hear you, but so is there something, she is there something you'd like me to ask for you? Ask her, who is Dan Landrum? Alexa, who is Dan Landrum? Dan Landrum is an American hammer dulcimer player residing in Chattanooga, Tennessee. (laughs) That's amazing. I had no idea. You know, of all the facts we could possibly be wrong on, that's one we don't want to be wrong on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got to do it for everybody else now. No. No, I wouldn't do that. Alexa? Who is Steven Seifert? Steven Seifert, the American folk musician and virtuoso of the Appalachian Dulcimer. Oh, wow. Way to go. All right. Aaron, I see. uh, uh Oh, there there is a poker player who competes (laughs) in the World Series of Poker. All right. Well, I want to hear it. I want to hear Alexa. Who is Aaron O'Rourke? Here's something I found on Wikipedia. Andrew Ross Sorkin is an American journalist and author. He is a financial columnist for the Alexa, New York Times. Who is Pause. the musician Aaron O'Rourke or something? Alexa, who is the musician Aaron O'Rourke? Here's something I found on Wikipedia. Harun al-Rashid, Arabic, oh, Harun al-Rashid, in English, Aaron the Just, 17th of March, 763, oh, or February, enough. 766, 20... Pause. <laughs> but I'm going with Aaron the Just for the, like the way you... podcast. <laughs> so, so wait, wait, wait. I don't really like your tone of voice when you're talking to Alexa. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, she's she's standing by if we need her to answer a question. Like uh, Alexa, what is a mountain dulcimer? Hmm. Mountain dulcimer is defined as synonym of Appalachian dulcimer. All right. Let's. Um, so can you Moving unplug on? that thing? Nope, nope, she's there if we need her. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the jungle. <laughs> so what's happening, people? Wait, i got to show you one other thing. This uh, is the real reason I brought this out today, because oh I discovered oh, it this morning. Reason. Everyone needs to know this. Alexa, play the Dulcimer Geek podcast. Getting the latest episode of Dulcimer Geek Podcast. Dulcimer. Here it is from TuneIn. She said that like she had a little vomit come Hello, up in Stephen her throat. Hello, Stephen Seifert. <laughs> Dan Lander. Good morning. Alexa. Yeah, welcome, everyone, to the Dulcimer Geek Podcast. Oh, cool. It's been a couple of weeks. Why do we Alexa! miss the last two weeks? <laughs> Stop. She was like, the Dulcimer. <laughs> Make it stop. Aaron, where did you, you go? I went down to Florida. 
Yeah. While it was three degrees on Signal Mountain. Oh, it now you're so, back here and it's like so cool. 70 probably. Yeah, it's 50s. It's not bad. It's about how it was when I was in Florida. Were you with family or what? Um, this was... Uh, Ah, uh, this was the best trip to Florida because I made like zero plans ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, except, well, I was down there for uh, for part of a patron house concert uh, wow. with John Timlin. And that was a lot of fun. He was a great host, really cool place. Um, and uh, one of the perks, uh, I well, we were going through some of uh, some of John's stuff, and he broke out a set of bagpipes. Uh, apparently he hadn't played in a long time and we passed them around. I made the worst sound I've ever heard on a musical instrument uh, when it was my turn to try the uh, the bagpipes. They're the Scottish small pipes, but uh, I brought them home on loan. Whoa! Yeah, so... But it was like your... It was your first time to ever play bagpipes? Yeah, very first time holding. You're gonna get kicked out of your apartment. <laughs> yeah, that won't well, work in an apartment. There's luckily we are a uh we're a pretty short walk from uh from this place called Signal Point and there's some little trails where you can sit oh, on a flat yeah. rock and kinda hide from everyone and then so Do you know there's a dude who practices down there? No I did. Yeah, I've run into him a couple of times. He oh. just goes down to the parking lot. Practices what? Pipes. Oh, he's my competition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're gonna think you're him now. That's because we are not. Just make sure you don't sound too much like a bunch of wild turkeys or something. Nah, no. Nah. But it's cool. I've been going through a, a whole bunch of bagpipe music, and um, and arranging it for Mountain Dulcimer. It's a uh, yeah, that's good. yeah. It's um, I think that's great. The Scottish thing. I think there's a lot more interest in Scottish music than has been explored. Yeah. Have you have you looked at any of the Scottish? Uh, bagpipe music that was written in the early manuscripts in like the 1800s there's no key signature on a lot of them hmm. yeah it's just kind of assumed that uh, it's, that it's d it's or, a? Are they well, a or d well it's uh it's a mixolydian okay. kind of the the g is closer to a g natural than it is a g sharp but but not exactly. yeah not exactly it's kind of like if you listen to the um I remember having this feeling listening to field recordings of some old-time fiddlers, particularly... Uh, oh, yeah. They always sharp their flat Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of Willie Step in uh, uh, Washington's March. That one, that was one of the first ones I tried transcribing, and it drove me nuts. Uh, well, they do that to the thirds, too, you know? I mean, it's a, to me, it's a bluesy treatment of the seven a little bit. I know it's not the same, but... Yeah. When I play the seven on the fiddle, the flat seven... Sometimes I'll just push it a hair sharp right before I let off of it. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Well, some of the early, um, some of the early uh, collections that uh, that put these handwritten manuscripts into very nice printed uh standard notation that i've that i've seen anyway actually have key signatures either d or a um and so with the three sharps it puts that g sharp in there um and when i hear a lot of some of these tunes on fiddle they're using the major seven and i'm wondering if it was just a a product of uh writing it down where there were certain assumptions made um, about something being in the key of A. Because and, someone heard it and 
I think it just sounded because like it a major was, seven. I think because of the way it was written down. Uh, I mean, it's pretty clear when A is sort of the tonal center, but since these old manuscripts didn't have the key signatures written, from what I've seen anyway, um, I think probably someone just went, okay, uh, A is the tonal center, key of A, and just wrote three sharps in there, right. and uh, versus, okay, D is the tonal center, oh. key of D. Uh-huh. And so... If you're on a, a bagpipe, I mean, there's different ways to get that that G sharp. From what I understand, that's I can't do it being a being a newbie. That's not what's readily available. But um, because of just not being able to know how to push it automatically for that note, or what? Um, because you sharpen flat a little bit just by how much uh, wind you put put through, right? Or how much? Well, I've checked out uh, forums, okay. uh, the the bagpipe forums, and it seems like an advanced technique to me because everyone seems to have a different way of going about doing it, uh, and they're giving right. different bits of advice. So it's what are not some just of them? A, yeah, make this altered fingering uh, happen. So well, it's neat to get to explore. I mean, the reality is a whole lot of people played diatonic instruments right. in yep. the old days, yeah. and um, it's it's a pleasure. You yeah, know? I I think it's, and then the fiddle you know, is treated somewhat. I mean, the fiddle doesn't have, it's so crazy to me that there's this instrument that doesn't have any real state, you know, it doesn't have frets on it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's the thing about the fiddle that's been really been hit me lately is I, I recently got this MIDI controller, the Roly Seaboard rise. I'm so excited about, and it's like the first truly expressive electronic instrument I've ever owned. But when I get the fiddle out, I'm like, and the fiddle has all this, <laughs> you know, and the fiddle's been around for a long time, but, um, I, th- I think it's good. So what have you been, what's your, uh, alternative instrument lately, Dan? That A-frame drum, that the electro-organic A-frame drum. Oh yeah. Yeah. I told a guy I met in Nashville that you had that and he got all excited. He was like, not a lot of people have No, no, no. Actually, we have uh, written back and forth a couple of times. Oh yeah. Met. Yeah. Yeah, matter of okay. fact, I'm I was I'm excited. I got a uh, message today that they've released 40 new sounds for it. Oh, so I haven't cool. gotten yeah, I like into that. what you probably would have, knowing you by this time is uh, sculpting, really sculpting my own sounds. It's yeah, it's man, it's geeky. Uh, yeah, I find the biggest part of that that's helpful is when you're playing through a preset. Usually, it's you just ask yourself, what's the one one aspect of this sound that's bothering me right now? Well, shoot, just go in and get no, rid I of do that. that. But understand, there's two ways. Yeah. I won't I won't go too deep in this, but when you're playing the thing, things that you would think not normally think would make a but big it was difference like your, make a big difference. It was difference your first time. So there's two knobs pipes? that you can reach in quickly and change the sensitivity of the edge or the center. <laughs> yeah, that won't and so work in changing that sensitivity, you're changing a bunch of other things then because. It's looking for certain velocities that are picked up off of microphones that will make it hit another threshold. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean, Steve? You know, and so that other threshold will will change the sound a little bit. Right. So then you got to go in and, and tweak. Other yeah. Things. So that so you got those two that you can change quickly and seriously change the whole feel of the drum and even the way you change it. That's what's cool. It changes the way you drum. All of a sudden, you'll like find your hands doing different things, and then you've got you know the normal stuff like. The amount of reverb, the amount of volume, the amount of pitch bend, 
and those kinds of things. So you can adjust all that stuff Wait, and quickly save it to another The amount preset. of pitch bend? The amount of pitch bend. Okay. Like how hard you press the surface or how hard you hit it, how much it's accepting it. Okay, so that pitch bend, is that affected by um, by the sensitivity of the edge? And yes. The ed- okay, and the center. Yes. Okay. Well, this this thing I've been playing, I've enjoyed using it as a percussion instrument. I was surprised by that element of it, but um, it's got this, you know, like I can I can drum on it with my fingers, but then if I leave my finger on it and then push one direction, I can get like a sa- a, a sound, and if I push the other direction, I get another sound. So it's kind of cool to be drumming and then leave stay in contact and move, and you get an effect. I like. So, that. did you try the experiment with pencils yet? Because I want to. I tried it with a Sharpie. Yeah. Now, here's the interesting thing. I got to hit it pretty darn hard with a Sharpie to right, get it so to that's register, the case. but I don't have yeah, to... Ha- with most things. I hardly have to touch it at all with Your my finger's finger. heavier I mean, than you think it is. Well, that's that could be, but I'm telling you, I I was surprised. I think the, the Sharpie's lighter than I think well, it is. Well, <laughs> so this is, this is the dilemma that I've always had in trying trying to find something that could act as a real MIDI hammer dulcimer. As you yeah. end up needing to go with an object that's so heavy, in or and just for everybody out there, Dan is. We all probably sometimes want to be able to take audio and have the computer turn it into notes. Basically, yeah, basically, yeah. And this on this drum, I can. Put a little pad on it, uh, you know the little the little rubber shelf pads, you know that you put in to keep things yeah. from slipping. I can put one of those on there, which takes a little bit of the tick sound away from hitting it with hammer dulcimer hammers, and it's exactly as responsive as a hammer dulcimer. It gets no matter how lightly I roll or whatever, it gets all that. So, tells me it can be done, <laughs> but you know then to turn that into having that responsiveness for every single note on a hammer dulcimer is nobody's done that yet. People say, yes, yeah, I, I made a MIDI, MIDI instrument. It was pretty good. They're not there. No. I have a MIDI update, especially for Aaron <laughs> and Mountain Dulcimer yeah. people. So people are always saying to me, hey, is there a program where you can just play in it and it turns it into sheet music? All right. Yeah. And um, there are, but they, they. Right. The initial impression is they work terribly, but I want to suggest that they require some learning. And some time and patience, but um, I nailed it last. I don't know about three nights ago. On what instrument? So I got this program called Guitar. It's called MIDI Guitar Two. And when I, I first heard about it, my friend Brady, he said, "Hey, you need to check this out. It's because when you're when you're playing an, an acoustic instrument into a computer and it's turning it into." digital information like actual MIDI notes, not audio, but, you know, the note information. Um, There's usually a latency. There's a delay. And so, um, and the other thing, well, anyway, he said, check this out. It has almost no latency. And he was right. And so even though it's for guitar, um, I've been playing the Mountain Dulcimer into it on a pickup. Watch this, Steve. Da, da. Da, 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 da. Oh, you've got it. That's it on my phone. Yeah, that's weird. Okay, so when I play the dulcimer, it turns it into a, to a you know a, a synthesizer note mm-hmm. or whatever. So here's the deal. Um, in Logic, in my music recording program, 
I went ahead and recorded the audio of what I wanted to turn into tablature. And then on another track, I had that plug-in, turning it into MIDI data, note on and off information, volume information. Oh. Um, so here's the quick, I'll just be quick, because I think it's good to have this down in the historical record. So you then edit the MIDI data. You highlight everything, and you tell it anything that's below a certain um, length, eliminate. Right. Because some of that stuff's just bleeps from, like, it's just... Like it was doing with my voice a second ago. It was just... Yeah, just a weird little thing. And you can tell Logic, hey, I don't want anything uh, shorter than such and such. Um, Then I select everything, and I set the velocity to the same. And there's a a little tool for that. It just makes all the velocities the Mm -hmm. same. Um, And then I tell it any overlapping uh, notes that are the same note, join those. And then the final one, I know this is how do you, easy, wait, wait, how do you do that step one, though? Oh, okay. <laughs> there's, if, 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 if you double click a MIDI region, there's all these. So you have to do that, that afterwards. You can't do that real time. Okay. Right. Um, Sorry. Aaron had one too. So no, I didn't. I just didn't want Steve to lose momentum. Cause oh. I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, yeah, cause I'll forget what that. So the final, the final one and the good one is where you, one of the functions is make everything legato. So it takes, it forces, and then I quantize it. Tell people what quantizing is. No, no, no. Is. I quantize it first. That means it puts it all on an eighth note grid or sixteenth note grid. The final thing I did was force everything to be legato. So Tell now people what, what legato is. is no, uh, just smooth where the end of each note is connected to the beginning of the next, and it's like ultra. So it doesn't force know. any rests in there. Is that what's happening? Well, that, like, yeah, so, so yeah, if you if cut I was a to note, put a rest in there, it's now going to get right. right. Hold on. It'll turn it into instead of let's say you played a quarter a note, but you cut it data. short. So it would just turn that into a full quarter note instead of an eighth. But note I improvise rests rest. anyway, and that's the way I teach them. So I n- almost never put rests in the music. I teach them. All right, to stop. Do that. Let's get clarity. Alexa, well, I what's got one legato? More thing, but what's your thing? Well, EMC look at so the, la- <laughs> the enterprise level backup and recovery suite produced by EMC Corporation. There you go. <laughs> legato, a new drug for a future of joy. Um. So the final, let's see. Yeah, so then I end up with this music that's all the same velocity, that's completely legato, that's quantized to the grid. There's no bleeps in there. Then you go to Logic File Menu, Export as MIDI File. Then you go to Table Edit, our tablature program. <laughs> you import. I mean, I know this sounds like a lot, but I got it yeah, down Yeah, you haven't quickly. lost anybody. Well, look, uh, I had some emails from people saying we're not losing them. Really? We might lose, yeah. you know. I, I got those. We might yeah. lose the occasional, you know, who knows. Anyway. I got one. So <laughs> would you I quit interrupting nice you. me, Mr. Landrum? He's bored. That's why he's True doing story. this. So you bring all this stuff into table at it, and it, Aaron, the majority of it was just done. Some of the notes were on the wrong string. Mm-hmm. But the reason this matters to me is I'm looking for a workflow to write something. And there's been about five times in the last couple of months where I've sat down with Tablet and I've tried to write something thinking of Aaron O'Rourke. I'm thinking like, all right, let's just don't judge, just write. Let's go for a first draft of a tune. Yeah. Um, I, it hasn't gone well. But when I sit down and improvise and then turn that into MIDI and then bring that into Table Edit, now I have a first draft. You know yeah. what I mean? 
So, and then I can start to compose with that as a foundation. So that's a lot of stuff. But the truth is, if you're willing to massage the data a little bit and you get the right tools, we're getting to a place where you kind of can play into the computer and have it turn into tablature, but you got to know music and you got to know the software. That's cool. I'm, I'm interested in right. what kind of uh, compositional ideas you're coming up with. I'm sure you are. <laughs> Aaron's always like, could you just write anything? Could you just? Yeah. I don't say that. No, I know, but I I feel like it should be easier, but I love to improvise. Yeah. I hate to compose. That's really interesting because uh, I know on the, um, with the music program at, at FSU anyway, um, I knew some of the people that taught and, um, uh, I don't know what specific part of the mu- the music program, but they decided not to teach um, uh, composition and improvisation. Uh, they said that they were uh, that they used the same skills, which I I disagree. Oh, that's well, that's coming from people who don't com- improvise or compose. Yeah, I, I disagreed with that entirely. Who were these goofballs? Well, I don't we, professors. Right, never mind. Some silly PhDs. I know. <laughs> but I can understand somebody that doesn't want anything to do with either one of uh, those, but that's just not, I'm not going to be hanging out with him a whole lot. I, I guess. did explain modes to one of those PhDs. Seriously. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about professors, too. I, I like professors. I do too. Hey, if you're a professor, you know, we know you're smarter like than Mr. us. Mr. Howell. <laughs> You talking about Thurston yeah, Howell, the professor? Professor was from cool the too. Gilligan's yeah. Island. So, oh hey, I want to. Okay, well, I don't want to leave <laughs> Steve's subject just yet. Okay. So, if oh, we also had Melodyne, Dan. You and I did right. Melodyne, just for the record. That that was actually pretty. Sure. Cool. So I have two questions I want to ask you. One, one's more philosophical. Uh, do you find ever that that switch from the guy who's trying to improvise to the guy <clears throat> who's trying to tweak software mess. Those two are not compatible. Well, for me, they come from a similar place, which is when I was a kid, my dad's reading the VCR book. I'm over there pushing buttons, you know, I'm over there saying, well, when we push this button, what happens? What happens when we push this button? Uh, which can get you in trouble sometimes, but usually it's, it's good. And I feel, I feel a similar way. You know, basically, whether it's a musical instrument or a computer or a mango, I'm wondering, <laughs> what can you do with this thing? What happens if I do this? You know, and I notice a lot of musicians are not, exp- they don't explore a lot. Really? They're, they want, they're like, I want you to tell me what to do. Well, the fun for me is sitting around like a, a little kid filled with wonder. Like, well, I wonder what this does. Like, if I got that drum you've got, what is the thing called? Uh, A-frame. It's the short name. A-frame. Yeah, it's an electro-organic A-frame. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't start with the manual, although I do love manuals, actually. But I, I would just start off with, all right, what is this, you know? If you were there trying to tell me every little thing, I wouldn't have as much fun. But if you like left the room for a minute, I'd be like, "Oh yes," and I feel that way with the dulcimer. Yeah, that's, I get that. The that's interesting. If you are able to easily be in both creative modes, the technical creative side uh, well, for me feels different, different than the yeah. compositional. And I find when I'm 
grooving on something, I'm playing something, you know, and as it grows, the more I like it, unfortunately, the less likely I am to want to stop then and do anything about recording it or trying to map it out because it just, it breaks it for me, it breaks the momentum, I guess. Well, yeah, I think that makes sense. I think that goes to something um, that Steve, I think you said this in the last podcast that, that I listened to in its entirety while driving back <laughs> from Florida. That. No, the, the modes one while I was out of town. Now, was that with me and yeah. Dan? Was that? Oh, good. Oh, it's out there. You need to critique us on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's something that was said early on uh, when you were talking about like tech stuff. I can't even remember what, what you guys were talking about. But uh, Steve, you said something, and I'm sorry, I'm going to horribly misquote you here, but it was something like... Uh, um, none of us are into this uh, geeky stuff by choice. It's because we have to, or something like that. Uh, well, that's not entirely true, but that's the way it feels sometimes. <laughs> so you just lied to everyone on the podcast? Or... No, I'm well, before you go on, it's... Um, uh, some of this stuff has been by necessity. Okay, guess, yeah, that's know? probably closer to what <laughs> And I've learned said. to actually love it. So my second question is, have you tried gating your whatever your primary instrument is the mountain dulcimer yeah that that software the the midi guitar 2 has a gate built in but that requires processing cycles i wonder if you use some other kind of physical gate going in if you wouldn't get a better print and hey for our listeners dan what is gating something has to be louder than a certain level before it actually is allowed through I need to do a MIDI velocity gate on the recording. Yeah, that was the nerdiest thing that's ever been said on this podcast. <laughs> but listen, not an audio, <laughs> not an audio gate, but just one that says, "Hey, if something is too quiet, I'm not, I'm not putting it right. down." Because that's true. Because the, if you're wanting to do some ghost stuff, you know, and you're playing, you can go ahead, go back and put that in. Dulcimer Ghost Hunters premiering in february <laughs> how much does half a unicorn weigh <laughs> um so we, it's us playing dulcimer well, but in blurry like black and white you know? <laughs> with the shaky handheld camera like, like wait did you hear that <laughs> and i i think i would like to hear from you guys on the like this cross training maybe we've talked about this before but it's it's really true right now because I'm doing the seaboard and I'm doing the fiddle and I'm doing the whistle. I'm better on the fiddle and whistle than I was last year when I played them. I mean, I know I've played them a little more than that, but all this time goes by when I pick up the fiddle, I'm better and I haven't been practicing, but I have been practicing music, you know, all year. Um, and also when I pick up the dulcimer, there's new ideas waiting for me to check out. You know, sometimes I've played the dulcimer so long, I'm tempted to think, oh gosh, you know, I've kind of mined this enough. I don't, but then I go play the fiddle a little back, I, a little bit. I come back to the dulcimer and it's like, there's, wow, there's new stuff to figure out on the dulcimer now. And I, I that's why I, I, I feel really good about learning other instruments on the side. So, I promise this is relevant, um, but it's going to take sure. a little bit to get back around to it. I've been listening to uh, yeah, I'm gonna to some podcasts with um, uh, some uh, MMA coaches, some mixed martial arts coaches and 
and fighters themselves. And I've always been interested in... Uh, I'm listening to this. Yeah, I, okay. <laughs> um, I thought so. Uh, I've always found listening to uh, uh, to interviews with athletes after any kind of match. Like, I, I was interested in, in tennis, especially. Like, just the one-on-one. And getting to see their personalities, whether they won a match or whether they lost a match. And one of, the, one of my favorite tennis players was Rafael Nadal. And after after every match, if he won, he would say, I played very well today, no? And if he lost, he would say, I played very bad today, no? <laughs> it was like the, the same personality, whether he, he won or lost. That's why those guys can't be football stars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to, I think it was my brother who said, uh, yeah, I want to start uh, celebrating the way uh, football players do when I accomplish just one part of my job (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah um but uh but i was listening to uh to one to one guy talk about uh in mma a lot of these guys have different backgrounds whether it's jujitsu or wrestling or boxing but then they find they have to supplement um a lot of oh yeah like yeah what they're doing whatever whatever their strong point is they have to venture off and uh, this this one fellow who uh, apparently was a uh, NCAA um, uh, champion wrestler also went to the Olympics. Uh, he decided, you know, I'm I haven't met anyone uh, in MMA who's as accomplished of a wrestler as I am. I'm just going to focus on my striking and jujitsu. He said when he went to visit his brother, who was uh, who was also a wrestler, he said he just kicked his butt. And just the short period of time not wrestling, that he just, it was amazing how much it just disappeared, supplementing all of this hmm. other stuff. Um, uh, so while I'm trying to cross-train a bit on a, with other instruments, it's been, one, it's just fun. Um, in addition to giving me inspiration on the mountain dulcimer, it's just fun. Uh, yeah, we like to learn. Yeah, like it's cool. At the same time, I find it's a uh, there is this other side that is uh, at least uh, managing trying to maintain what I have on dulcimer so it doesn't start to slip. Because yeah, because lately I've I've played less in the last thirty days than I have in two years, probably. Yeah. I think um, it, when I was down in Florida at the, this concert, uh, the house concert I did at John's, um, uh, for some reason what popped into my head was uh, um, right before the Nashville Marathon years ago, the guy on the loudspeaker said something like, uh, to all the runners, he, he said, um, you know what, uh, we're about to get started You've already put in the hard work. This is your victory lap. And I remember going, crap, I haven't really put in the work to train for this. I only did the half marathon. But uh, That's funny. Um, in terms of concerts and performing, I've thought about that. Like I've experienced that a few times. I hate seems high achiever like, analysis. <laughs> seems like a, a long time ago that I've had that, that yeah. feeling of uh, yeah. you've done all the work. Just enjoy your victory lap. Uh, right. um, so, so much it feels like like crunch time, especially if you're, if you're collaborating, uh, with someone else, um, who you don't get to work with, you know, if you're at a festival and you just pull them in, you're just grabbing for whatever free time you have. Or, uh, um, if you're at a week long, you're performing at the end of the week. And I, I always feel like I 
well, I haven't really had time to practice my solo stuff if that's what mm. I'm doing. I'm uh, never, almost ever. Yeah. yeah. But at this concert, I actually kind of felt that. I practiced a little bit the day of, and I felt like... You can do it. Yeah. I'm actually good on this. Yeah. And I played the song that I fell apart on <laughs> in oh, really? Sarasota. Yeah. yeah, it went great. <laughs> well, it's a, maybe you'd knock some of the nerves off from that, too. Right? I, I mean, I could... I could yeah, feel a, myself that, getting nervous like right before that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, so right before I played, as awkward as this was, I just did this little triplet strum to, uh, to, to just loosen that wrist up. Uh, cause I could feel it uh, wanting to tense up, but it, it wasn't, yeah, the, the fall apart thing that happened in Sarasota. I've started allowing that to happen with a little more confidence and faith. So, Every show we do, as long as we get more than six minutes, every show we do, I want to include one piece that's almost ready, but not quite. Because I find it's almost like, um, it reminds me of uh, ceramics, where you fire something in the uh, kiln. <laughs> uh, I, it seems like if I run that tune, and I did this recently with the audience, I said, hey, here's a new one I've been working on. But in my heart, I knew it wasn't going to work out. It was going to work out 95%, you know. But something about doing it in front of people um, takes it to a different place for me from then on, you know. So when you were saying you had that rough performance, to me that's just like, well, well good. It was necessary. We got it out of the way. Oh, I guess I agree. some musicians probably want to be more together before they go out there. But for me as an improviser, I need to run it through that first. I, I need to do it in front of people when I really wasn't quite ready. You know, and you can pick your audience for that. You don't do that on uh, Prairie Home Companion. Or something. Well, I mean, even if we were talking about track and you're a pole vaulter <laughs> or a high jumper, mm. you know, clear it all the time, you know, and, and you <laughs> clearly lose sometimes when you smack the pole, you know, and mm. fall. But people still know there aren't many people who can run as fast as they can, make that pole spin over like that and throw themselves up in the air. Yeah. You know, so they still know that you did the preparation. I mean... Even though it would have been really nice to see a world record at that moment. <laughs> you know. But you can't quit. I mean, you just can't quit. You got to keep keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Keep jumping. I I have somebody, a, a hammer dulcimer player, you know who you Uh-oh. are. Uh, she contacted me about recording, you know. When somebody says, hey, I want to record stuff. So I said to her, well, what's your budget? You know, and she said, well... I, um, I'm willing to consider, you know, anything, but I really wanted a budget because I told her, well, we could, we can, if you want a recording setup, we can probably spend anywhere between $250 and like, you know, $3,800. Rent rent one of those cool studios that are available in, uh, in Nashville. And there's a, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's right for, for 3,800. So but what really occurred to me, you know, I've been through the recording industry training and school and off and on. But I never really got how important the room was. That's what I mean. Until maybe the last few years. So here's what I'm and and this and um if you if you want to get into recording and you've got some time and interest, then dip your foot in the water, you know. Uh for sure, check it out. I'm not I don't want to discourage anybody. But I was thinking to myself, if somebody has never done any of that stuff and they get some, they get some speakers or head, 
you get some speakers and they're in their room, they're going to start making decisions on the audio based on what they're hearing. And it's not, that's not going to be the end result, you know, because the room is weird. So part of me, it was a little like I was, I try to be helpful and I'll keep helping you. I'm happy to, but when I look back on everything I've learned and all that, I, I really want to reiterate, like you just said, um, make sure you're interested in taking on a new hobby with passion and some discipline if you're going to get into recording. Otherwise, just pay somebody else to do it, I think. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I've. But as a musician, I actually think she needs to do some multi-tracking. I really think that would be a healthy thing so, you know, you could, we looked at a used setup. You got a couple mics, an audio interface, you know, a two channel, just some cables. It was like 250 bucks. And I think that might be a good thing. I think whenever you multi-track and you record and listen to yourself, I think you grow as a musician. Yeah. Anyway, there's my update on all that stuff. And I know I've mentioned this, but I think it's been a long time on this podcast. A guy said to me one time, <clears throat> and it, I found it mildly offensive then, but I understand it better now that there's a fork in the road when you decide you're going to record something that you've got to decide, are you documenting or are you creating? Right. And that's the, that's a very interesting distinction, I think, because it, documenting yeah. documenting says so like you, you, this you, is where I am. I'm going to record this event. Well, or this is where I am as a player right now. Mm-hmm. I want to record this. Oh yeah, oh, and yeah. I can play these things. The other one becomes a production. It's like I'm going to track and retrack and retrack and add things. And if I don't like it, I'm going to redo it. It's still you as a player, but it's a much more major project that you're embarking on. Right. Hard to finish. Yeah. Um, experience has told me when you're working with other musicians, it's good to have that established before you go into the recording studio yep what your goals are um because uh, when one person is documenting and another person is set on this creating it's bad it's bad <laughs> <laughs> those are very different things yeah yeah you yeah. and you know i think we i already mentioned first draft earlier that movie finding forrester where the kid wants to be a writer, you know, and the old man's giving him advice. And he says, your first draft, you write with your heart. You know, your second draft, you write, I forget what he said, with your mind or whatever. But um, in the studio, sometimes if you're going to be the engineer and the musician, you really got to try to separate from the engineer as much as possible and just lay down some first drafts. Um, Because it, it... you don't want to lose your heart in the matter. You know, you don't want to lose the passion and the thing that makes it cool, but you can get so bogged down with the technical stuff. Sure. You know, like you were saying earlier, it can be hard to separate. I, I would always much rather play one role or the other. And when I do both, they probably both suffer a little. Well, I think the way you prepare we, for those two things is different because if you're, if you're yeah. going to have an engineer, then you prepare by getting to the place where you could document and have it be stellar. But if you're going to be the engineer, some of the time that you would have prepping for a stellar performance is taken up by learning to use the stinking software. Yeah. I think I'm, I've been listening to some mixes too from just 
even on the internet and different I think the biggest mistake I'm hearing everywhere is they EQ the life out of everything. They put a bunch of brittle highs on it. They put a bunch of too many lows. They don't do a roll off. Everything's overly They keep compressed. the pickup in there on mountain dulcimers. They got t- they got bad mics, they got a bad room, they got bad instruments and the timing's screwed up and I'm here I don't know. I'm I don't want to commit those errors. I know I'm not too far from doing it. <sighs> Obviously, I've been toying with these things mm-hmm. lately. So, was that a diversion? I just took the podcast down. It is. So I'm going to rabbit hole in another direction too. We don't have to go for like three hours, right. but so I I had right. a not a musical gig last week a uh, a town council gig. Uh oh yeah. You didn't you say something good? Happened well, this is different from that. This 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 is just okay. kind of funny, and it goes back to the professor thing. Three people speaking at the library to a pretty good crowd about a sewer moratorium that exists okay. within the town of Signal Mountain. So I won't go into all the I won't go into any details about that now. Funny part was, I thought, matter of fact, when they initially asked me if I would be one of the speakers, I was going to be first, and I was just going to give an update on the status of the moratorium. As time progressed, the organizers talked about it, and they thought I would be the, the best closing speaker. So, <laughs> so that got passed down to me a little late, but I, I learned it, and so I wrote a significant amount more and it made sure I was on. I knew my stuff. I had a good presentation. It was I got people, you know, it's good. I'm, so I think I, I nailed it. That's nah, probably not nailed, but the funny part was, the first two speakers had all these credentials. You know, they're all this training. P, I don't know about PhDs. One of them might have had a PhD, but just a, 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 a tremendous list of credentials, you know. Uh, and then, <laughs> so they introduced us one at a time, and then it was me. <laughs> the person who was doing the introductions didn't know what to say because I'm, I'm nothing. Basically, she said. And our last speaker tonight is uh, Dan Landrum. Uh, he's on the council, and he uh, has a journal, and he plays dulcimer. <laughs> I was, I was hoping journal? Yanni would be mentioned no, somewhere no, in there. No, no that would. What do you mean journal? Talk about dulcimer players' news. Right. Oh, a journal. <laughs> he, yeah, he's. he's or she, he, she might have even said newsletter. Or something like that. <laughs> so I had kind of forgotten about it. It stung a little bit. You have a zine. And <laughs> dropped out of college. You dropped out of college. <laughs> Angie and I were sitting there last night and it just popped back into her head. And she said, you have got to start writing that for people. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, what we do is it prestigious. I don't know. I've been introduced as a world champion Dobro player before. <laughs> I, I went with it. Oh. I spent most of the set occasionally just going like back and forth in between uh, why I don't play Dobro anymore. So tell me, you guys haven't had yeah. this experience. A party party we were at Saturday night. Uh, there were, by the way, there were five Pulitzer winners here, uh, cartoonists. This oh, was, is this for Clay? This was for Clay Bennett, who's, yeah. uh, who's amazing. Well, his sister, I was talking to his sisters, you know, about the end of the party. And... Uh, Clay's standing there, and uh, 
Clay says, oh, man, you know, and Clay's trying to tell his sister what I do, you know, trying to be impressive because I don't have a Pulitzer. (laughs) 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 And so anyway, he says the things you say, you know, plays dulcimer. And and so immediately she takes over the conversation and she starts and you guys can picture this. She starts holding her hand up to her chest, you know, kind of below her neck and like strumming back and forth. And she says, oh, dulcimer, I love those things. And you know what she's playing, right? No. Auto harp. Uh, clearly. Oh, yeah. It's very often is auto She's harp. clearly playing an auto harp. And I'm like, well, no, that's not really it. The thing that I play is, you know, it's it's older than that. And it and blah, 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 a little bit of stuff. And she goes, oh, I know what you're talking about. It's this long instrument that I've seen. It has three strings on it. And people play it with a, with a pick. I'm like, no, no, no. That's another kind of dulcimer. You should have just gone with that, man. I should have. <laughs> you know, and then I'm explaining it. Uh, but, Wow. <laughs> that's that's why whenever someone asks i just say i teach music i need to start doing that yeah that's i think uh, da- i think aaron and i should just say we're authors and dan you should say i'm a publisher <laughs> yes or something like that <laughs> yeah yeah well i think the first thing i hear when somebody's trying to explain hammer dulcimer to somebody is you, you often hear it has a bunch of strings it has like tons and you know what i'm gonna do you know I'm going to start carrying like a little mini Alexa around. And if they say that, I'm going to go, Alexa, who is Dan Landrum? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, I'm a virtuoso, no. apparently. Yeah, you're the virtuoso. Yeah. yeah. Aaron I'm, is a... Aaron you, is like, what was I was Aaron a couple a, different things. You're a... What was, oh, what was the best one? Well, you were a poker player, but what were... Alexa, who is Aaron O'Rourke? Here's something I found on Wikipedia. Ron Beardsley, Laura Devine Burnett, Bonnie Carroll, Albert Dodge, Patricia Delick, Robert Force, Paul Furness, Bill Haynes, Gary Horseman, Janet Herman, Stephen Jackal, Lucy Long, Cindy Menzel, Joni Mitchell, Aaron O'Rourke, <laughs> Steve Palazzo, Gene Ritchie, Peter Tomarup, Wendy Treat. Those are just some of my other personalities. What? Wow! <laughs> that was amazing! <laughs> that was a neat list. Like, what are the... Are all those dulcimer? Players? I didn't. I mean, I, I knew so. Tomarup. I knew Gene Ritchie, Al Dache, uh, uh, Robert, Robert Force was in there. Steve Seifert was it? No, David, no, David Schnaufer. And it didn't even say like, "Here's what I found on Wikipedia: dulcimer players." It just like maybe these are all people who like Scotch. Ah, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> really interesting. Um, I think it would be handy to have a hammer dulcimer in your pocket. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yes, it would. <laughs> like I would like to have a. I want. I want a mountain dulcimer that's like a Christmas ornament, and the same for hammered. And when they say, "What do you do?" You know, and they'll say, "Oh, is that the no? That's this." You could. <laughs> is that the thing you hit with hammers? No. You could just get a tattoo. We also should have an auto harp in our <laughs> I said pocket. I need a tattoo. Maybe, yeah. I don't know what else. Yeah. Maybe a. Yeah, Steve's got a tattoo. You have a dulcimer tattoo, Steve? Oh, I gotta get that. Yeah, but I got to get that thing changed. To what? A pickle? Well, th- my my tattoo is a Herdom pick. Oh. And uh, about 20 years ago, my friends Lisa and Melanie, it was, I don't know if it was my birthday. I don't know what it was, but they were like, hey, we'll pay for you to get a tattoo. So naturally, I got a Herdom pick, right? 
But the problem is... Is it the wrong gauge? It's just a black... <laughs> it's just a black Hardum okay. pick with no sense of what... I mean, it looks like a cultic marking. You know? It looks like I've been processed by the alien hordes or something. I don't... I need to get it turned into like a flaming fox or something. I don't know. What do I... Maybe we should have a contest... But I was thinking of getting branded instead. That's a good idea. <laughs> you know what we could do at festivals? Just have one of those little mini forges. Or not forges, just a little furnace. And we could brand Herdom Picks onto people. Onto their arms. Huh. Never mind. <laughs> hey, did I tell you that I got... Uh, I was in an apartment once. And I got, like, written up. And it said, you know, this is your... <laughs> first and last warning or something for being in an apartment and for playing a penny whistle but they called it a flute you know they were like you can't play a flute in the apartment and i remember thinking is this what it means to grow up you're not allowed to play a penny whistle in your apartment but uh so i wanted to get that in so aaron i want you to be careful playing your bagpipes because you don't want to get like you don't want to get a citation. Well, uh, my my neighbor is gone quite a bit, and I was only going to practice. She will be now. <laughs> you know, yeah. And uh, I was only going to practice while Nikki's at work. Because it's still, it's still a, a pretty epically bad sound. It's sort of like if, um, I think if a, a cow and a cat had uh, created an offspring... And that animal was on its deathbed, and the last thing it, would sound it like was trying to do pipes. was learn how to sing. <laughs> and it's like that. That would sound wow. like my first note on the bagpipes. Wow. Yeah. I have another in, um, inconsiderate non sequitur. Okay. Uh, Jerry Rockwell uh, signed up with a new service, which is actually pretty cool for releasing your music to the world. Do you know? iTunes, Spotify, all that kind of stuff. Um, but one of his tracks was rejected from this company. Why? Because it's public domain, and you're not allowed to do public domain on this That's service. That's weird. You, you can only do you know, music written in the last 75 years or whatever. I, f- I forget now. Uh, or you can do originals, but you they don't allow you to do public domain not an option i thought because it takes a lot of time and effort to determine if your music truly is public domain and nobody's making any money off of public domain music so some of these companies are starting to say hey we're not interested you either write it or it be something like the eagles did or wow whatever. that's interesting <clears throat> and yeah. isn't that why yeah. and they're covering covering the copyright costs for you yes so that's another nice thing about this service for roughly i forget what it is like i don't know 60 dollars a year or something you can release as many tracks or albums as you want it'll all go to the itunes store it'll go everywhere um and anything that's got copyrights that need to be respected they they handle all that for you and um and they actually have a good high payout. You know, you, you get a good bit of money from all your stuff. Hmm. Um, 
So it's just a trend, you know, and I guess everybody's been saying, oh, my whole album's public domain when it really isn't, you know, or something. Sure. If we... <clears throat> but what do we do yeah. as dulcimer players, you know? And so part of me feels like the universe is forcing me to write songs and cover songs that people have heard in the That's lifetime, interesting. You know? That's Instead an interesting change. Just doing old-time tunes. I've done enough old-time tunes, and now the services won't even let me do them. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Uh, I've been doing this a long time as a as you know trying to make a living as a musician <clears throat> and I, I turned 57 just a couple of days ago i oh, suspect in my last it. breath one of the last things i'm going to say is could somebody please explain copyright law to me because <laughs> 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 it's so often people write you know for dpn and they'll say could could you have articles explaining copyright law and uh I've had people write and ask if we could talk about copyright stuff on the Dulcimer Geek podcast. And we all know Jess Dickinson. Jess Dickinson and I had a six-hour con- uh, conversation. He used to do copy. He used to defend copyright uh, stuff. And he doesn't want to do an no, article. He or says, give you know advice, what? I it's bet. just too complicated. It's a it's a moving. That's what I. Did you guys talk about it on a podcast? It, we did, but ago. seriously, he just he. He kind of didn't say anything, you know. It's just if someone decides that you are violating a copyright, they've got enough money to make it be so. Probably. That's yeah. right. Whether you did it or not, that's what I've learned too. Yeah. And also you're you're you really your ultimate you're ultimately depending on a jury of what are probably non musicians right. for the yep. most part. And the jury actually, and then whatever they decide, that gets taken into consideration for future court cases and similar battles. So I think the best thing to do is be kind. You know, if you if somebody did something, and there's there's things I need to be more kind about in this regard. But if somebody if somebody came up with something, at least give them credit, uh, ask for permission buy him a dinner you know pay but there's also been some new developments like if you go to harry fox agency which handles a lot of this kind of stuff they've got some interesting new services yep. going like one of them is i forget how much it is if it's like a hundred bucks they assign a caseworker to you and that person will help you not only determine <laughs> what you need to do about your song selection but they will actually help you with the paperwork. You know what, though? I want to finish your sentence. They will help you make them some more money. That's <laughs> kind of the way I think about it. Well, yeah, but yeah, but the good news is is you can play ball because sure. 10 years ago, they didn't really have a way for us to play ball online. I think so. we have, and this is probably too philosophical, but there's three areas that I tend to think about this in. One is legal, one is ethical, and one is moral. And what's the difference between ethical and so moral? There are set rules of ethics depending on the terms of art for particular fields you're in. Like in, I think something that is ethical can have a violation of ethics code if, if that exists. So, and something that is moral to me, moral comes down to well-being. So therefore, you might somebody might say I shouldn't copy this piece of sheet music that Steve Seifert wrote and put in his Join the Jam Two book mm-hmm. and share it with someone else. However, if I'm sharing it with <clears throat> three people and I say, "Look, I will 
share this join the jam piece of sheet music with you if you'll promise that you'll order the book right that's where it starts to cross in between you know one or the one or the other so mm-hmm. well online it says while they are sometimes used interchangeably they are different ethics refer to rules provided by an external that's what I'm source saying. codes example, of ethics codes of conduct in workspaces or principles and religions. Morals refer to an individual's own principles regarding right, right. and wrong. Yeah. Can you say that in the Alexa voice, though, next time you're going to fact check? Can I ask her? Yeah. <clears throat> Alexa, what's the difference between ethics and morality? Ethics, demonstrated in geometrical order, usually known as the ethics, is a philosophical treatise written by Benedict de Spinoza. Short story by Stephen King. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Pause. Pause, Alexa. <laughs> Alexa, go outside. <laughs> go on. Go on. <laughs> Do your business. <laughs> so that's interesting. So we're saying morals is more about your individual ideas of what's right and wrong. Ethics is governed by a workplace or a religion or whatever. And then and then the, the laws, laws. different. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Because a code so you could be more. You could be more. You could be good on morals. You could be good on ethically, but actually be against. That's the correct. Law. Mm-hmm. Like in Nazi Germany or something. Right. Yeah. So like going fi- the one that always gets me when I think about copyright, I always think about going. What if the speed limit's seventy miles an hour and you're doing seventy two? What is? What are you doing really? Because the, the law doesn't actually say, hey, if you're plus or minus three, it takes a judge to make that decision. And different judges will make different Well, decisions. but you can also go back to what determines what the speed limit is. And the, it's an, I don't remember the exact number, but it's something like the speed that 70% of the traffic is following. Uh, so how does Atlanta fit into that? Well... Uh, it's going to it's going to have to do with best cases and those kinds of things. Okay. But if you're trying to determine on a as far as civics, as far as municipalities are concerned, what the speed should be, mm-hmm. the guideline says you put out a speed it's a guideline. Yeah, well, you put out, you know, those little black uh wires that you see across the road every now and then. Mm-hmm. Often those are determining what the average speed is. And then they set it at like 70% of that. Right. That's what they say the speed should be because traffic will tend to go about 30% faster than it should or something like that. So, yeah. And then you can make it be stricter, you know, based on things that people wouldn't necessarily limit themselves about. Like there's a school there, you know, and so there's a school mm-hmm. crossing. So they slow it way down during the school time. It sounds as complicated as coffee. Yeah, it is. So the thing is, if right now I took Aaron's "Hey Mom," mm-hmm. "Hi Mom," um, I was thinking of writing a follow-up to that. By the way, what so oh, like music <laughs> musically? Yeah, like I could write a song for your mom. Also, I'm sure she'd like that. But mine would mine might be like flirtatious a little bit, like "Hey Mom," you know, or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> But anyway, if I can, took, I just say me too. <laughs> if if I took that was um, double entendre there. If yeah, I, I 
if I took Aaron's high mom, that's what it's called, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, you actually had just as you were as responsible for naming it as I was, I think. But what's high it mom. called? Yeah, now it's called high mom. Yeah. Okay. If I took, the, uh, let's say I took a portion of that and I created a whole song yeah. based on that and I never mentioned it to you and I never yeah. thanked you, um, you're, the first thing would be, well, shoot, I wish, I think it's neat Steve did that. I wish he would have, you know, I wish he would have thanked me or asked or something, mm. you know. Um, now, of course, I might be breaking the law by doing that, but really for me that the main thing like if i hear somebody play my arrangement like it's theirs i actually am okay with that but it sure would be nice to get somebody to just i don't know say something about it how do you i mean going back to sheet music well okay (sighs) actually before before we go there um going back to an arrangement or or something that's that's original um I don't know. I I would I think I would have kind of mixed feelings if I heard you playing something where where it was really obvious that uh that you had used chunks of that composition without saying anything. Like like sizable yeah. chunks. I mean on the one hand, I feel like there's not a whole lot in there that's really original. Um Yeah. Well, I mean is that called self-deprecation? Well, I don't f- to the best of my knowledge, I did not invent the D minor arpeggio to the A major arpeggio to oh, the A minor dude. arpeggio. Whatever. To the to the best of your knowledge, you did not invent right. Sound yeah, <laughs> I did not invent the twelve note system. <laughs> but uh, um, you know, one of the one of the tools that I that I use for for composition is is pretty blatant stealing. Um, I'll look at a, a piece of music that I really like a lot that hits me, and I'll take all the notes away and just look at phrasing so all i have left yeah, is yeah. uh just uh note values um yeah, I yeah. Love that. and then i start experimenting with thomas that. jefferson did that right as a kid oh really essays. he did a similar oh kind of thing. interesting but uh but i mean that's that's using someone else's work as a springboard or uh finding what the hook is of a song and then just grabbing that one little hook, it might be just one chord change, ignoring the melodic content, um, and then writing something that sounds completely different around it. But even those small little chunks of harmonic content, I mean, those are going to court right now. Uh, well, after sampling, I think people got... Well, you know, you just use a little piece of James well, Brown, and somebody's going to. I think be it upset was, uh, wasn't it "Stairway to Heaven"? I don't think it was a sampling issue, but they claimed one group claimed that they had that. Oh yeah, that a minor descending bass line. I find that concept incredibly well, stupid. <laughs> just well, that's like "Piano Man" by Billy Joel. I mean, how many songs do that? Yeah, you know, all Billy Joel but songs. I, yeah. <laughs> No, that is not true. Uh, I I have violated copyright. Yeah. I thought about not saying that out loud because it's self-incriminating. But um, I actually tried to not do that. I had a musician one time. Um, I I was greatly influenced by them. 
and I didn't thank him in the liner notes. And I didn't, because I thought it was traditional music. Like, I didn't realize that some of this was coming from this person more. I thought they were a conduit for a larger tradition that I was now joining. And regardless of that, I mean, it would have been polite. But the thing was, is I was young. I recorded my album. You know, I had been learning to play. I was quite... I couldn't... I I I didn't think of every little thing and, every, you know. So I don't want to be a jerk about it. So if Aaron recorded one of my things, I would... And you didn't say anything yeah. to me? I would... I'm serious about this. I would give you the benefit of the doubt. It would still kind of bother me a little. like, But I, I have just decided to not be the picky old jerk about everything. And, uh-huh. to, you know, and I, so if you look at like my Join the Jam 2 in my book, I, I tried as much as possible on every tune to say who I learned it from. You know, and if I couldn't remember, I didn't put anything down. But um, I don't, I want to, I want to respect people's intellectual property rights, but I also don't want to be some kind of pretentious jerk that uses, you know, this legal position to compensate for my lack of artistry or human, you know, relational ability. Yeah. Oh, did I just have no, a No, I don't think so. Oh, Dan's unusually. He looks quiet, pretty happy man. too. <laughs> maybe I've, maybe I've, uh, have I, have I, uh, cro- have I infringed on either of your copyrights? Um, I'll have Jess Dickinson look into it. <clears throat> yeah, not that I'm aware of. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. Nah, I, I think it's complicated, and sometimes when you get into codes of ethics, you know, thinking about the difference between what's legal, what's ethical, and what's moral. There are codes of ethics where people will say, well, somebody's doing something that seems unethical, but they will justify what they're doing because the code of ethics says they can do it. And it doesn't rise to the level of being able to say, well, it's immoral then. But it's maybe the only way that you can handle it sometimes. And you say, well, my sense of right and wrong wouldn't allow me to do that even if the code of ethics allows me to do it. Or anyone would know that you are I mean it's how the law works it's oh this is such a drag well it's complicated and that's why we aren't going to talk about it. I mean or get lay down well, any rules about it hey hey don't steal yeah. from people don't be a jerk and um, and don't be a jerk have some mercy and grace with people and also don't steal and try to give credit where credit's due but you know it's music is so learning music. It's almost necessary to break many of these rules when you are learning music. It's it's like early jazz musicians, you know, uh well not early, but let's say in the 70s somewhere in the late 70s. I I think that's when the 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 real book came out and it was an underground kind of black market collection of jazz tunes with better changes than what you'd find in a typical fake book, you know. And so musicians, I guess it started as a stack of papers, maybe. 
But then by the time the late 80s, early 90s rolled around, there was this guy called the Bookman. Mm-hmm. And he would drive from university to university, and everybody said, Bookman's coming on Thursday. <laughs> I mean, the, the, your professors were telling you Bookman comes on Thursday. You can't even get this book anywhere, hardly. So Bookman pulls up in the alley. It was like an old, um, it was like a broken down <laughs> looking uh, a Cadillac. And he popped his trunk open, and they were 35 bucks a piece. And that was, what was that, 1991 Adobe or two. put him out of business. Well, th- well, 35 bucks was a lot. You know, but, but there was no other way to get the real changes back then. So maybe somebody should have fought to make it legal, but it was, a, it was kind of an impossible task. And then you, as a kid in high school, I went and did music lessons. And you ask the teacher, I want to learn Jump by Van Halen, mm-hmm. right? So he's sitting there and he's learning it. And we're writing some of it down. And he's like, get your cassette recorder out. You know, um, I'm going to play it for you slowly. I mean, all that stuff technically is in violation of copyright. But how in the world would you right. ever learn? And then this whole thing where these clubs say, well, we're playing for the nursing home. We're playing for the Alzheimer's floor. And then we're doing hospice the next day. And, you know, it's like they're all worried about, well, we can't play uh, certain songs. It's just – but see, there's it's it's a mess. And uh, But I do think we should not steal and we should be kind to people. We're back. It's almost like you, you kind of – I tell my customers and friends, but I tell my customers, I need to trust you to do what you think's best in your situation. Oh, that's good. Please take into consideration that um, I barely make a living at this. and um, But if you need to do something, uh, you know, look, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. So please keep me, keep my best interest at heart, and I'll try to do the yeah. same for you. Yeah, I think if you want wanted to write the most effective and honest book about how to make a living making music, yeah, it would be titled "How to Make a Living Making Music," and on the next page it would say, "Write a book called How to Make a Living Making Music." <laughs> Sell it to a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I've been fascinated with uh, uh, in going down the 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 rabbit hole of Scottish music. I've been really wanting to get a lute, and wow, yeah, there's something exciting about playing a uh, uh, a slightly less popular instrument than dulcimer that's already been replaced. It's like and I want it's an like, oud. Uh, let's find the most difficult way to make a living playing music <laughs> and do that. That's great. I'm not actually getting a lute. You should. But, uh, I do yeah. not believe that. You don't believe I'm getting a loot? I don't believe that you or have that determined in your life that if the possibility for a loot to enter your life occurred, you would go, nope, don't want a loot. Oh, if it if it, I mean, entered, we all want a loot. Let, yeah, if, <laughs> it, would, it would take Who some effort a loot? on the part of the loot itself if to come If I had said to you two life. weeks ago, you should, you should probably get some bagpipes. <laughs> I would you be like, yeah, like, I agree. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, all I've right. wanted some yeah. bagpipes. Well, you should probably get a loot then. Yeah. Dude, yeah, you I couldn't believe loot. it when John was like, "Hey, I have some bagpipes. You want to try them out?" <laughs> and, wow! Yeah. yeah, it was so cool. I'm so excited about them. I sound so bad. It's a gateway so drug. Drug. It is <laughs> a, a, a fretless lute uh, yeah. has the sound unlike yeah. anything, and that's yeah, the, the oud, oud the, the the Arabic oud, or who. I, I would love one of those things. Um, I love to hear the bend, the the yeah. slides. I love how they can use alternate 
um, scale temperaments, like that flattened second a little bit. But you've you've been studying all that uh, Scottish lute yeah. music. Yeah, a lot of what I, what I'm finding is in uh, oddly in the key of F for some fun reason. But uh, um, so I've been using. F for yeah, fun. F for fun. <laughs> That's why. Uh, so I've been using, like, I think I told you this before. Um, I've got a McSpadden that I keep tuned. Uh, C, G, C, C, four equidistant strings, capo three. Uh, and I'm playing all this loop music with that setup. It's great. Hey, guys. Yeah? We got to wrap up, man. What is us? We never know how oh, to end on, it. Real quick. Alexa, what's a good way to break up with somebody? Oh no! Sorry, I don't know that one. Oh. <laughs> oh. So Dan, when Dan, just tell us. You can take us home with this. What's something you're tempted you know, to get into? There's fifty ways to <laughs> to leave. To leave. Yeah, there's fifty ways to leave your dulcimer. <laughs> what I'm I'm doing all the things I'm tempted to get into. Well, you're so you're not tempted to like. Well, I I kind of want another recumbent, but I'm not gonna or whatever. I'd like a uh, a Zoom H6 or a Tascam version of it so that it has six microphone inputs so that when we are together at a dulcimer festival, we actually can record oh, a decent-sounding yeah. podcast easily. Oh, I'm going to look that up when we get off here. That's one thing I would like to get into. I could tell you what I've been into, but nobody's going to be as interested in it as me. But yeah. oh, uh, on, you guys inspired it? me. I, was, I sat here. The reason, because you guys have been doing your diets better and and that sort of thing and Still i jumped on the bandwagon it, man i'm i'm exercising like a crazy person i've already gotten about oh, yeah, five really? miles in today i think four or five miles and i'll end up with around seven yeah you you've got your walk got my walking desk. desk is just working like a charm apple's dictation folks if anybody else wants to try this take some work yeah, to master it but once you master it about. it's pretty amazing what you can what you can do Mac computers, Apple computers using their dictation. <laughs> it's good it's stuff. Pretty good. That's true. What do you do? Show commands? Yeah, show, show commands. commands. Like I could say it from across the room right now. I named my computer Knucklehead. So watch it pop up. No, no, I've got the mic turned off because we're doing the podcast. But I just say, hey, Knucklehead, and tell it what to do, and it does the stuff. It's pretty cool. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So, that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to the Dulcimer Geek Podcast with... Dan Landrum, Aaron O'Rourke, and Stephen Seaford. Please check out Dulcimer Players News. Please check out Dulcimer School. And um, Dan and Aaron, um, I want to thank you guys for coming in and speaking with everyone today. We certainly wish you um, a fine week. And listeners, you guys keep playing those Dulcimer. We'll see you next time. Sorry, I don't know that one. Adios.